This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 181. Today on our show, Jack Dominic from the Voice of America Museum. A device called the Rieto. He marketed this and built it in 1939. And just to make it simple for you, if you owned this device and you connected it to your radio when you went to bed at night, when you woke up the next morning, you had a printed newspaper on your desk. It's officially called the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting, and it celebrates not only that institution, but specifically the Tri-State's involvement in that endeavor. Jack talks about how Cincinnati's own Powell Crosley helped get it all going, why it was so important, and the fact that many people who live near what is now VOA Park have no idea what the Voice of America even is, plus a whole lot more. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now, let's talk to Jack Dominic of the Voice of America Museum. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from Cincinnati. CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. I like to ask folks what their Cincinnati bona fides are. So are you from Cincinnati originally? No, I've lived here since about 1970, though. Okay, so long timer. Um, yeah, not not in Cincinnati. <laughs> all right. where, uh, where are you from? Uh, originally from northern Ohio. Oh, okay, same. What part? Uh, over around Youngstown. Okay, oh, I'm I'm from Mentor up uh, near oh, Cleveland, okay. and I uh, know my, where that is. My dad went to Liberty High School in Liberty Township. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, and um, I can't remember where my aunt, my uncle went there too. My aunts, their two older sisters, uh, I mm-hmm. w- went somewhere. Else. I think my one aunt went to Saint Ursula. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Then Ursuline. Ursuline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that my yeah, aunt it's, it's went a, there. It's coed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, went, I went there. Oh, okay. They, they, I think they both might have gone there. But um, yeah, so I'm well familiar with uh, with Youngstown. Were you always interested in... Well, let me ask you this. What brought you to Cincinnati in 1970? Actually, I just had some friends here. I had graduated college, didn't have anything to do. So I figured, well, come to Cincinnati, see what's going on. It, I got a, uh, a job with the uh, United Way here in media and uh, stayed there about four years. And then um, I was uh, ended up general manager of uh, a television station. Oh, neat. Okay. So I guess that leads to my next question. You guys were always interested in broadcasting then growing up, I take it. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I was always uh, either tinkering electronically or programmatically. Yeah, for sure. So was it, I guess, growing up... Um, uh, you're just a little older than me. Uh, radio and TV still kind of in the early stages of development. Well, particularly uh, TV. Uh, what were your first memories of radio? Well, we I can remember when we got our first TV. So we, you know, radio was that's all we had. <laughs> yeah, so we listened to the Lone Ranger and 
all of those all of those shows. I yeah, I can remember we got our first TV probably. Oh wow, I want to say maybe fifty four. Okay. We didn't have a lot of money, so yeah. <laughs> That's back when TVs uh, when TV started. In fact, it's kind of interesting. It, it repeated itself in the in the uh, the color age, and then repeated itself again in the digital age. And that was uh, TV started off in bars. Oh, you know, a, a bar would have a black and white TV because no one else did. And then, of course, when color came, you know, everybody wanted to see color, and so the bars were put in color. And then, of course, when the when we had the digital explosion, when widescreen, you know, the big screens were expensive, you know, yeah. cost a lot of money. Where did you see them first? <laughs> Sports bars. That's, I never noticed that. That's in right. bars. That's right. Yeah. TV and bars go together. And I also remember um, the uh, the other place you would see them, of course, is stores. And I remember the uh, this may be a legend. This may be there's some truth to it, but it sounds logical. Uh, back in the 60s when we went to color in 1966, NBC purposely scheduled Bonanza because they were still owned by RCA. Purposely scheduled Bonanza at a time when stores would still be open and could display the RCA TVs, and you could see the beautiful Ponderosa in, in full color. And, and, and I don't know if that's true or not. Do you know if that's... Is that's, that a, that's, that's not apocryphal in any way, shape, or form. It's absolutely true. In uh, fact, it's, it's beyond that. They commissioned that show and the content, and it was specifically to be uh, filmed in a very beautiful, colorful environment. That was... Uh, Bonanza was actually was commissioned to get people to buy color TV sets. Now, that's that's absolutely, absolutely true. All right. Well, my broadcasting major came in handy then. So I, think I'm, I think I learned that from my, <laughs> my first uh, year of uh, broadcasting uh, course at Bowling Green State where did, University. Where did you go to school? Uh, Bowling Green State University. Ah, okay. Yeah. I taught at CCM and at uh, Northern. Okay. My uh, daughter is a proud graduate of Northern. But anyway, no, the, the color... Uh, there's also another tie-in uh, that you may not be aware of. Uh, does the name Fred Ziv ring a bell? It does not. D-I-V. Well, Fred Ziv was a Cincinnatian, uh, lived here all his life, and he is essentially the father of syndication. Oh. And what he did was, this was back now in the late 40s and early 50s, he did a couple things that were very innovative. Number one, he was the first one to f- realize that the second and third and fourth and fifth and tenth and a hundredth play of a series is where you're going to make the money, not on the first one. Don't even try to. And the second thing he did, and he got laughed at by all of his contemporaries, is he, at the very beginning, and now we're talking 1954, 55, 56, recorded all of his programs in color, even though it cost a fortune because they were filmed in color, okay? And it cost a fortune. And his his friends laughed at him. Fred, why are you spending all of this extra money? Of course, Fred laughed all the way to the bank when stations converted to color, and that's all they wanted. And his friends had nothing, and he had Library after library of full color, the Cisco Kid, Highway Patrol, Sea Hunt, 
on and on and on. Those were all his products. So he produced I know Sea Hunt was one of the first and most successful uh, syndicated programs. Not syndicated as in sure. reruns, because basically you have two kinds right. of reruns. You have shows that ran yeah. on the network and are running in reruns, and then you have original programming, mostly game shows, but sometimes uh, dramas and sitcoms right. that would run. Okay. And Sea Hunt was one of the most successful. I didn't realize that was actually in color. Yep. And that's Fred, Fred Ziv. Fred Ziv. Fred Ziv. Actually, if you. Did you say you went to Xavier? No. No, Bowling Green. Okay. I was going to say. If you went to Xavier, you would know because he was a big philanthropist of of uh, Xavier. Nope. But Fred actually pioneered the concept of syndication, and he pioneered the fact that he saw back in the 50s that we're going to have color, and people are going to want color. They're not going to want to watch black and white. And he was absolutely right. He died a very, very, very rich man. That, isn't that weird, though, that people don't recognize that, a be- that people are going to want a better technology? That we're just going to we'll stop it. We finally got moving pictures on, you know, because t- they didn't stop with color movies. Why would people have assumed right. they're going to stop at black and white TV? That's kind of silly. Well, you know, there was there's always been a mystery around broadcasting, you know. Um, yeah. Some some people maintain that it's imp- it would be impossible to send pictures through the ether, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember seeing there's this clip of um of uh, another interesting story of uh, Philo Farnsworth, and I guess he's on right. What's my line? And he's really oh. the guy that invented TV. Nobody knows who he is, and he he uh, exactly he did not die a rich man, as I recall. No, he died a very poor man. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, him and Edward yeah. Armstrong, kind of an even, an even more tragic story. But we can right. get to that as we go through the the broad the radio broadcasting thing. Yeah. Let's let's go back right. to that, and hopefully we can get back to television as we go <laughs> through the through the years. Now, I'm familiar a bit with the Voice of America, but for folks out there who who don't know, how does the Voice of America get started? The Voice of America began in about 1940s, early 1940s, when the Third Reich was observed to be extremely adroit at using media to disseminate propaganda. So Roosevelt is looking over to Hitler and he's seeing, you know, Hitler did very, so many innovative things as it relates to radio. For instance, Hitler had his engineers create a radio that was affordable and he subsidized the purchase of that radio for the German people. But interestingly enough, Hitler had 68 radio stations broadcasting in Germany, essentially all Hitler all the time. This radio that his engineers created and sold, which we have one right here in the museum, was called the Bolzenfanger. Bolzenfanger. Essentially, it means people's receiver. That radio was, it made it almost impossible to listen to any station that wasn't Hitler's. So Roosevelt is looking at the success that Hitler is having. And of course, you know, your listeners will very likely have seen either a long time ago or currently on the History Channel or some other cable channel the various films about how the Nazi propaganda arm worked, you know, he, they established large rallies where he would speak to these adoring fans. He had a whole group of people that did nothing but create movies about how the Aryan population was superior, et cetera. 
So Roosevelt looks at this and he said, we don't do a very good job of sharing our ideas with the rest of the world. We should do that via radio. So he assembled a lot of the bigwigs in radio at the time from RCA and Westinghouse and Marconi and et cetera. And also a small little company here in Cincinnati called Crosley Broadcaster or Crosley Corporation. And he assembled these folks and he said, who can build me a transmitter or transmitters that we can send programming from the United States to especially to Europe? And most of the people in the room kind of looked at their feet, except for the engineer from Crosley. Now, some people in Cincinnati will realize that as early as 1939, Crosley had already built a half a million watt commercial station uh, whose tower is about half a mile from where I'm sitting. Crosley's WLW was the highest power AM commercial station ever licensed in the United States. So when the feds were looking for engineers who understood the nuances of creating high power transmitters, they looked to Cincinnati. And that's why, you know, people say, why did the trans, why did Bethany station? That's the name of this facility. Why did it ever end up in Cincinnati? And of course there's all kinds of apocryphal. Well, they needed a tall hill. Well, guess what? There are tall hills in a lot of places. And by the way, shortwave does not need tall hills. The only reason it's here in Cincinnati, and I tell people, it comes down to two and a half words, Powell Crosley Jr. His engineers were here. If you wanted to build the transmitters, you better assign the engineers that know how to do it. Okay, That's real, the end of the story. Real quick, uh, something my father always told me about the VOA and, and WLW is that, yeah, it, it was in Cincinnati because of Powell Crosley, but specifically where you're sitting it ended up, my father tells me, is because the ground there, he hired geologists, and the ground there was very well suited to the ground waves that AM and shortwave need to broadcast far. It, it, true or false? It is partially. Okay. Good. Partially true. Good partially for that. True. All right. <laughs> it, it, is, it is correct that the uh, this hilltop here mm-hmm. is a good place for radio stations for a variety of reasons. One of the things is the water table here. You would think this is one of the high. This is the highest point between Cincinnati and Dayton. You'd think the water would be like five thousand feet below us, and if you dig a foot, <laughs> you're going to get water. Yeah, oh. but it's that was accidental. Uh, there was another accidental thing that was wonderful. Uh, right out our front door is the terminus back then of the power grid coming from then the Cincinnati Gas and Electric and the terminus of the power grid coming from Dayton Power and Light. So this building was was dually fed off of two separate independent grids. To, in or, now, did, did they plan that? No. Did they, was that a cool thing? Absolutely. This place, you know, used more electricity than many small towns. And it also needed to be uh, redundant. There, there are a lot of apocryphal things. So that has some truth in it. This is a good place to put shortwave transmitters for the radials and all of that type of stuff. 
but there's all kinds of things. You know, people say, well, they used to receive the VOA or the Voice of America on their dentures. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably, probably not. Could a barbed wire fence within a mile of the WLW? Yeah. Yeah. yeah keys, if, you keys ear, if you put your you put your ear up to the pole, you probably could hear. Okay. Yeah, Keyswitter uh, told us about that when he was on. Yeah, I mean, it, but, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I heard it on my eyeglasses, and, <laughs> you know, if, if they were being exposed to that much uh, radio frequency energy, they'd have di- they'd have more problems than listening to uh, <laughs> the <laughs> programs. But, uh, so there's a lot of apocryphal. But the fact remains is that, even here, these were the six most powerful transmitters, shortwave transmitters in the entire world, and uh, so that you know that's all that's all true stuff. Uh, the reason there's a lot of apocryphal information around it is until the place closed, it was entirely secure. They had armed guards running around here. They never shot anybody, but I mean, it certainly got people's attention. <laughs> so, how involved is Powell Crosley and Crosley Broadcasting in the, the construction of VOA, or did the engineers just lend a hand and it's run by the government? How does it all come together? Oh, no, 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 no. In fact, Crosley Crosley built and operated this facility as a contractor to the government into the 1960s. Aha! He charged them a he tra- charged them a, do- a dollar a year above expense. Because he thought it was a good PR move. Oh, oh, okay. His fingerprints are all over this building. If you know anything about Crosley, he was he was half Edison and half P.T. Barnum. So that's and half description, yeah. He, he was really a showman. He knew how to market. And a great example is if you walk into this building again, it was a secure industrial building. It was Art Deco to the nth degree it was beautiful all kinds of art deco decorations the the transmitter room the temple of broadcasting he actually made you have to you have to appreciate this this is a secure building nobody's allowed in it you understand that so what does he build an observation deck so you could look out over all the transmitters (laughs) His, his fingerprints are all over this building. So as something I learned just a, a short time ago uh, that I didn't know, maybe a couple of years ago, I I'd, maybe I was out that way or, I'd, or maybe Keyswater had told us this and I did, hadn't realized it, but there were, there were no actual studios at the at VOA Park. It was simply a transmission facility. That is, that is correct. The studios were and still are in Washington, D.C. They... The programs came from Washington, D.C. to here on telephone lines. And there is another story for you. You know, we always get people saying, why was it called Bethany Station? It's not in Bethany. And they are correct. It is not in Bethany. So why was it called Bethany Station? The reason it was called Bethany Station is is when the phone company, back then AT&T, their broadcast lines came into Cincinnati they would be hand, handed off to the local telco, which in that case was Cincinnati Bell. And the exchange in which this building is located is B.E., Bethany. And so back in Washington, when they were looking at the circuits, and they say, oh, Bethany. So the engineers in Washington said, oh, it's Bethany. So where's Bethany in relation to Westchester? I don't even know. It's about uh, 10 miles north and uh, west. Okay. 
All right. It's it's close. Okay. I mean, but it's it's not. <laughs> and at the time, uh, WLW and the VOA uh, transmitters are, are really the only thing out there because that's properly the country. Oh, we have we have photographs when this building was finished in 1944. Tylersville Road, which is now six lanes, was a one-lane gravel road. WLW moved out here. WLW began their broadcast uh, in Crosley's house. And then they moved down to, if you're familiar with Greater Cincinnati, if you're familiar with Camp Washington. Yeah. Or, okay, well, there is a building just off of the expressway that's usually covered in graffiti. It's about a six-story building. It's white right now. That's Arlington Street. That was Crosley's main facility, a factory, et cetera. And that's where his studio was. And on the roof were two antennas. And that was the second WLW. And then he moved. He was the first station in the country to have what's known as a STL. That stands for Studio Transmitter Link. Before Crosley, always the studios were co-located with the transmitter. Crosley wanted to get a better signal, so he built the next transmitter in Harrison, Ohio. And he was the first one to use telephone lines to bring the signal from Arlington Street to Harrison, Ohio. About 1927... He wanted to up the power, and here on Tylersville Road, WSAI already had a facility. In fact, if you drive by right now, the house next to the transmitter building is the WSAI house. Oh. He, he bought them and then moved WLW here, and then over the years went to 50,000 watts and then ultimately to 500,000 watts, and he built the current tower which is still here in the late thirties and it is still used today. And it's the backup tower. I, isn't it though? To, to, to no, the... uh, no, that's the primary tower. There's okay. a backup tower. Uh, interestingly enough, I believe they're on the backup tower right now because they're doing construction down there, but okay. no, the, that, that, that's the main tower. So WLW winds up in, uh, in Westchester before uh, the VOA contract starts. Correct. Okay. It was already here. Uh, right. in the, in the in the 30s in fact he signed on the the 500,000 watt 1939 oh that's right yeah and then VOA was was uh, the contract was let 42 and the building was completed in 44 okay and then he, he keeps it through the 60s you said and then i know uh, we lose him in the early 60s i know that from my reds history and so what happens to the VOA contract then uh, within, in the facility there up in Westchester? The federal government wanted to operate it on, uh, by itself. They just trained all those employees were, that were Crosley employees were just made federal employees. Okay. Uh, and then they, it became a federal, federally operated. So those were all government employees after that. Not much else changed. It's just that Crosley was no, the Crosley Corporation. And it was no big deal. I mean, it, like I say, they weren't making any money on it. It was just, uh, it was a time when the feds were doing, apparently doing that with a lot of uh, subcontracts that were let. And of course, during the war, you know, anything to expedite construction and operation, you know, they would, they would do. Okay. So for a while, that property was actually a federal facility. 
wholly operated. It was a, it was, it was, was a federal facility beginning in, uh, it was always a federal facility because the voice of America was a federal facility. Oh, well, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Was, uh, uh, but even to this day, uh, the national park service, has editorial rights on anything we want to do in the building. Oh, I didn't know they that. Want to preserve, they want to preserve, and, and we're fine with that. We're, yeah. We have no intention of painting the building green or anything like <laughs> that. So. Okay, interesting. So uh, how how long did it keep operating through the 60s? Because I know at some point it was because it took the towers it, down. It ceased, it's, it ceased, ceased operation in the, in the mid-90s. Towers came down in the late 90s. And the reason was is that the, the use of shortwave worldwide, again, the reason you use shortwave is to get a radio signal over long distances uh, using, a, using a bounce off of the ionosphere. That's, that's how shortwave is different from commercial broadcasting and AM and FM. Those are essentially line of sight. Well, shortwave is also line of sight, except the transmission is not going east or west. It's going up and it bounces off the ionosphere and then back to Earth, and that's how you can get these great distances. But, of course, in the late 80s, communication satellites, geostationary geosynchronous satellites were uh, adopted, and, of course, now, you know, you can get anywhere on the Earth with a couple satellites. So all of the, tra- the, the, the transmissions from this facility went to two major different audiences it went to people themselves who had receivers but it also went to a series of about 20 relay stations around the world that would pick up the signal and then retransmit it well of course that could all be taken care of by satellite a lot easier a satellite dish to do that will probably take about a you know 5,000 watts of power as opposed to this facility that would be be taking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kilowatts to do the same thing. So the government said, you know, and then, and then of course, following the satellite technology, then we get into the internet and cellular technology. And if if you study much about most Americans are, are quite surprised at this, but the proliferation of cell phones in developing worlds in the developing world is actually greater than it was here in the United States for a long time. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, um, so, there's a picture on the, the BBC website that says how to listen to the BBC, and it says little boy um, holding oh, yeah. a, a telephone, which right. looks to be in a, from the background, and it looks to be like in a third world country. And yeah, that's how I guess most people get mm-hmm. uh, world services actually through their phones, and they're very uh, oh, the, heavy on promoting their mobile app and all that. Well, the, the reason for that, and I feel like I'm teaching my class, the reason for that is, is the United States, we build out an infrastructure, you know, a hardwired infrastructure. works very well. It worked very well. You know, the telephone system works very, very well. But in these developing countries, they never built one out. There wasn't one to replace. So oh. they just skipped over that. They just skipped over that technology. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I never thought of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they just skipped over it. 
So what kind of – for people that don't know, I mean, Voice of America, obviously, it's and it's run by the government. But what – I remember listening to it as, when I was a kid because uh, I could pick it up. It was something I'd pick up on shortwave and it was a reliable signal and I knew where to find it. Uh, but what kind of things did Voice of America broadcast? It was uh, – a lot of people would think it was just news and public affairs, but they would be wrong. One of the most popular programs in the entire schedule – was Lewis Conover's uh, jazz program. It was one of the only places on radio anywhere in the world that you could listen to jazz. There was lots of uh, uh, some of the, the early Broadway plays were recorded and transmitted. With, what the Voice of America tried to do is to communicate with the rest of the world what it was like here in the United States. Uh, there was a, a, certainly a, a large amount, especially during the Second World War, uh, of news. But there was a big fight between the Voice of America and the administration early on because Roosevelt, looking at Hitler, really wanted to say, if Hitler can do propaganda, we can do propaganda. The people he hired to run Voice of America disagreed with that. They said, if we're going to run a, a national radio station, it has to be truthful. And some, you know, when we screw up, we have to say we screwed up. And that that group won. As uh, John Houseman, we have a couple quotes in some of our presentations. He said, early on, the first two or three years of the Voice of America broadcast, the news that we broadcast were bad news. Because it, early on, remember, the, the Germans were winning. But he goes on to say, but we, in order to be believed, you have to you have to tell the truth because people aren't stupid. Uh, some people aren't stupid. <laughs> so, and it's still in existence today. In fact, I'm looking on my other computer here. Oh, absolutely! You can, you can go right to the website oh, the, and uh, listen online. And oh no, yeah, they're they're in thirty, I think, thirty two different languages right now. Yeah, it's it's actually some would argue some would argue it's more important right now than it was back in the Cold War. And, and the different languages change based upon geopolitics. For instance, there is no German uh, Voice of America broadcast right now. There's no need for it. Okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, there is French, but it's not aimed at France or Canada. It's aimed at some of the African countries. Yeah. Uh, Makes sense. And there is, by the way, uh, we were talking about shortwave. There are two places on the earth where they still rely heavily uh, Voice of America still relies heavily on shortwave, and I bet you could guess where they are. There's North Korea and Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. North Korea especially, because that's the only way you're going to get any information into their country. And do I have some recollection that they tried to get into TV broadcasting, or am I mistaken? They're they're already in, they're in TV. Okay. They have, they have TV all over the world. Okay, and and how is that facilitated? Is that just like a, a same thing? Okay, it's same thing. Okay, and getting back to the VOA park, then once the the transmitters come down, it, it who it's under the auspices of the national park, you say, or does Westchester get the land, or who? How did all that come together to to make the park we know today? It's quite it's quite a convoluted story, but simply simply put, once the feds. A mothballed the place. Then they went to, back then it was called Union Township, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, they hadn't changed their name. They went to the township and said, we will, 
we will give you this land, but there are certain rubrics you must follow. Now, you have to remember, let's define the land. The land went from Butler Warren, which is on t- to our uh, east, to all the way to I-75. So where the hospital is and the shopping center is and the Home Depot is, that was all part of the antenna farm. Oh. They were permitted to sell off some of that land, and they did. They also then, uh, for people who live in Westchester, they'll remember that Cox Road stopped at Tylersville. It did not go continue on. It now, of course, continues on into some of the most valuable retail space in the in the in the county then the they were left over probably with about two-thirds of the property and originally the township decided thought that they would build a large park but then they figured you know that's a pretty big deal and the parks of butler county is already in the park business so the lion's share of the remaining property was deeded over to Metro Parks of Butler County. There is a plot on which we are on uh, that the building sits on and then all the way out to Tylersville Road, etc. that is operated by a 501c3 corporation, which is the Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting. So we control and operate that land. The federal government, when the, the rubric that I was referring to was, after you sell off the land we allowed you to off, he's talking to the township now, the rest of the land, there was a small parcel that went to Miami University. They have a learning center on the property. So there's a little parcel that went to them. The rest must be used as a public park or museum in perpetuity. If it doesn't, it goes back to the federal government. So they had an incentive to turn it into a, uh, the park we know today. Right. And, but it can't be developed. I mean, if it could be developed, I can't even imagine what this worth in Westchester. I mean, you're talking about almost three quarters of a square mile of open land. I can't, can't even imagine what, what it might be. But anyway, but it, it can be further developed as a park. I mean, they could add amenities to it. it oh just, no! It, but it must be for for public exactly. public use, nonprofit. Yeah. So yeah. they could add ball fields. Actually, there are ball fields down there now. I guess there's soccer fields uh, behind oh, you. Oh I think. God! It's yeah, yeah. They got uh, they've got uh, 25 soccer fields. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been out there in a while. My wife and daughter go out walking there sometimes. And, oh, the the thing I was going to say is um, you said it was called Union Township at the time. Uh, that is because they finally mm-hmm. decided that people were getting confused that there was a Union Township uh, oh, yeah. and right a Union the, Township yeah. next door to me here. And if you drive yep. down 71 to this day, right past Lebanon, <laughs> there is a sign that still uh-huh. says entering Union Township. But you were not. Does it really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the highway sign is still there. It, last time I came down from Columbus, it was, as far as I know. Yeah, a little, little trivia for you. So I'm like, wait, I thought they changed the name. Didn't they, they didn't bother to take the sign down? So, uh, so yeah. And uh, then, so what kind of cool things can we find in the museum? You mentioned the radio from uh, the, the, the folks radio, the folks receiver. Uh, what else is there in the museum? It is actually, we have the most comprehensive collection of Crosley uh, inventions and products. 
if you know anything about him, he was unbelievably, he, he was into everything. He made cars, he made refrigerators, he made kitchen cabinets, he made televisions, he made radios. Uh, he owned an airline, he built airplanes, he owned the Reds, he put lights at Crosley Stadium. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. One of the things that people go come away when they go through the Crosley exhibit is we, we have, I think, the only one left in the entire world, a device called the Rieto. He marketed this and built it in 1939. And just to make it simple for you, if you owned this device and you connected it to your radio when you went to bed at night, when you woke up the next morning, you had a printed newspaper on your desk. Oh, wow. <laughs> In 1939. Wow. That's wild. And Eat your heart out, iPad that's users. And that, uh, and, that never, and that never caught on. It did. It, they he ended up with about seven hundred subscribers. It was extremely expensive. I was going to say only that. the only the rich could sure. afford it. And then with the war, I mean, probably the paper. I believe cost. Now we're talking nineteen thirty nine. The paper, I think, a ten foot roll was like uh, a buck. That, that, that's a lot of money in nineteen thirty nine. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And the device, I believe, sold for about seven hundred bucks. So that would be thousands of dollars right now yeah but the fact remains is he perfected the technology to do that sure and the other thing we have here that a lot of people don't realize is during the second world war crosley was one of the main manufacturers of the uh, proximity fuse which was credited as ending the the second world war early and was also the the state secret that the rosenbergs were accused of uh, uh passing on I didn't know that. What, so, for the, yeah. what, what was the what was the proximity fuse? The proximity fuse, simply put, okay. If you if you if you if you watch your war movies, you know, and your Navy war movies during the Second World War, and you know you got the airplanes coming in and attacking, and you've got the guy on the deck with a gun, an aircraft gun, and of course he's shooting at these planes, and of course in the movie, what happens? He's shooting them all down, right? Well, in reality, they, those guns were less than 2% effective. They weren't very accurate. The ship is bombing, bobbing up and down, and the airplane is traveling at 200 miles an hour. The chance of you hitting that plane are not very good because you had to hit it to bring it down. The proximity fuse was a radio transceiver that was affixed to the ordnance coming out of the anti-aircraft gun. And much like radar, when it got close to its target, it detonated and the shrapnel would bring the airplane down if it was in like 100 feet of the plane. So it went from 2% effective to about 20% effective. But think about the technology that had to go into building a back now we're talking now the forties. Okay. A battery powered with tubes <laughs> radio encased in the tip of a, any aircraft ordinance, which is about the size of a, um, a thermos bottle. 
and being able to withstand the G-forces coming out of the barrel of that gun and still operate. Pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and tube technology, <laughs> as you were saying that, I was thinking uh, I'm probably among the last generation that remembers what it was like to have your dad open up the back of the TV, uh, try to find which tube was malfunctioning, take it down. <laughs> and go to the Go to the drugstore. Go down to the drugstore, the hardware store, and in our case, and put it in the tube yep. tester, which was this big um, right. kiosk-looking thing with right. different things. Yep. You'd put it in there, and you would tell you yep. which one. You, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yep. And before solid state, right? Yeah, so that was probably up through yeah, the so, early seventies. That was a thing. So we we had the Crosley, the Crosley exhibit. Uh, we have a extremely uh, rich collection of of radio technology going all the way back to Faraday and Tesla. Oh, nice. Uh, Two other fascinating guys, have, by the way. Pardon me? Two other fascinating guys, by the way, Nikolai Tesla oh, and, uh, and Faraday. He was, he was spooky. Yeah, he was nuts. He was spooky. But... <laughs> you, you, know, he, you know, he told people that a lot of his ideas came from aliens. That I did not know, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah read, read a couple books about him. He was he was brilliant, but boy, he was spooky. Yeah, yeah, he was um, he was a bit off. We have we do not have one of the Crosley transmitters, but we do have one of the nineteen early nineteen sixty transmitters. Uh, now, when I say transmitters, a lot of people it's hard to get your arms around it. One transmitter is about the size of four city buses. Okay, mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about here. We have one that we have literally made so you can walk through its guts. Oh my gosh! Uh, and and see how things worked and all that. That's pretty much a geek thing. Then we have a whole section on how shortwave works and how the ionosphere works, etc. Uh, we have a listening station where you can. It's a touch screen. and if you want to see, okay, how did the Voice of America report John Glenn's? successful orbit press the button and you'll get a how the voice of america covered that or the cuban missile crisis or the kennedy assassination or armstrong's landing on the moon we've got we're, we're selecting momentous occasions and see how the voice of america reported that to the rest of the world and then we have of course we have samples of all depending on who's here we get a lot of foreigners so they could actually listen to some of these things in their native tongue, which is really pretty cool as well. Boy, since so you have a lot, a, uh, how long has the museum oh, been there? Because I know when it first started, you guys had you know just a, a few things and had hopes of adding some more stuff. But it sounds like from the last thing that I've read from years ago, you've gotten a lot more stuff. <laughs> about four, five years ago, uh, the concept of a museum here happened in <laughs> happened about 1998. And it was just kind of, you know, well, we ought to do this and we ought to do that. And then they started opening the building one day a month and let people walk through. It was pretty dismal. There wasn't one, wasn't any attention to, it was just a, a big building filled with a bunch of old radios. About five years ago, the board said, you know, we're either going to make this a museum and do it right or forget it. You know, we'll just, close the building and the building will be here and people are going to look at it from the outside. And that'll be it. So most of everything we've talked about has happened in the last five years. Okay. And we have done, for instance, we're in the process of constructing a whole new exhibit hall right now. We're finally addressing heating. Remember this building had no heat. Oh, and no air conditioning, no air conditioning. It, first of all, air conditioning 
didn't exist. Well, sure. it existed, but not here. Yeah. Why would why would you want heat? All you did was vent heat out of this building. I think when they turned off the transmitters, the ambient temperature of Westchester probably went went down about two degrees. Huh. I mean, there was so much heat in this building, and this was probably one of the first green buildings. They used that heat to heat the building. You know, a lot has been done. We're in the process now of completing a new ADA-compliant entrance. Again, one of the problems with an industrial building of the 40s is there was absolutely no thought to anybody who would have any type of a mobility issue. If you had a mobility issue, you didn't work, you stayed home. Oddly, the president that started it (laughs) might have had something to... Had a, right. had a say in. So here we have steps and we have curbs and yeah. all that has to be addressed so that people can actually, you know, somebody with a walker can actually navigate. So we're addressing all of those uh, okay. those issues right now. All right. And how did you get the gig? How did you get involved? Oh, I was weak one day. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they saw- I retired. <clears throat> okay. I retired, and one of the board members asked me if I would give them a few years and see if we can whip this place into shape. So, now there you have it. That was like that was like four and a half years ago. I told him I'd give them two. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, any plans to leave, or are you, are you loving it? I guess it's it's sounds very exciting with like you said with all the stuff that's going on. Oh, it is. It's 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 fine. It's, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm certainly going to. F- finish what we're doing here right now so okay but it's no it's 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 in the process it the the thing about this we're starting to generate people coming to this museum from other parts of the country purposely you know we always ask people you know why where are you from heard you where'd you learn about the museum when they come you know and more and more people say well i'm from annapolis maryland i said well why did you come to cincinnati to see the museum I mean, that's that's pretty cool. That is, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously we're not, you know, the Smithsonian or anything like that. But And the other thing that is really gratifying, we get a su- substantial number of when uh, people from other countries are visiting Cincinnati and they find out this place is here, they come and visit. And more often than not, they are in the lobby crying. Uh, remembering, you know, I, this is where I first heard about such and such. You know, it, it's really, it's, it's, to them, this is hallowed ground. Yeah, if, if you're not, a, a, it, oddly, if you're an American, it, it isn't really widely known, probably at least no. as much as it should be. Well, it, it, well, it shouldn't be because, uh, number one, <laughs> for the first 50 years of operation, Voice of America was forbidden to broadcast directly to the United States. Now, obviously, if you had a sh- short wave, you could listen. But, yeah. Uh, they weren't allowed to market. They weren't allowed to even mention what they were doing. Oh. Uh, and that was w- uh, more not because there was a, it was a big secret, but because of, of uh, domestic broadcasters probably were not. It was a com- bunch of a bunch of things. Uh, I, I'm really not sure. A lot of things happen in government that I don't quite understand. Well, that's I think. Uh, but most most people, other than Sometimes it's actually frustrating. You know, we will have people who will come here and they have lived in Westchester all of their life. Okay. Okay. Now, if, if you're familiar with Westchester, if you draw a circle from where I'm sitting and you go out less than a mile, 
there are more than 25 organizations, buildings, businesses, parks that begin with Voice of America. Oh, that's okay? right. Yeah. All right. There's Voice of America Plaza. There's Voice of America Shopping Center. Voice of America Doctors Building. Voice of America Learning Center. Voice of America Park. I can go on and on and on. And you ask somebody who's lived here all their life, what is voice? They have absolutely no idea. Now, how can you live in a community with that crazy name running around and not at least be somewhat inquisitive of yeah. what the hell are we talking about? Why is it called that? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> speaking of broadcasting, there's um, uh, on WVXU, they have a series where people ask things. It's, it's stuff it's, it's right under your nose, but people have never thought to ask, why is, you know, right. Fields Hurdle Road? People are like, why is Fields Hurdle Road, Fields Hurdle field? Road? And all these different things. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's on a mission no, to... Bill Bangert, yeah, uh, a, a friend of the show, he's, right. he's, uh, he's on it. Or people it. will come and ask where VOA is, because yeah, on the express I... says VOA Park. Yeah, yeah. So they'll come here, where's VOA Park? Who's, <laughs> who's this VOA guy? Um, who's this VOA guy? Yeah. All right, so let's um, anyway. get get to the details here. Uh, I know that the, what are the hours now of the museum? Currently we're open every weekend. Okay. Uh, from, one, from one until four, we're looking to extend the hours probably in the fall and if we can get more volunteers we'll start opening on one or two days in the week oh good but right now right now saturday sunday uh one to four okay do i need a reservation or can i just show up nope nope just show up okay. if you're gonna bring 50 people it might be nice to call but oh yeah yeah no uh, it'll probably just be me but, while my while the girls walk around the park um because they have no interest in in voa right. or voice of america <laughs> in this voa guy oh i Oh. Yeah, and we t we tell people if if you have young kids, uh, especially you know if 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 you're under sixteen, you will get very little out of this museum. Yeah. Now, if you're sixteen and interested in history, you'll be fine. Yeah. But most well, of the know, most of the con most of the concepts that we're we're dealing with here is, are pretty uh, pretty hard for a young kid to understand. You know, the Cold War. And, uh, I was going to say, that being said, uh, my, my daughter, who was a, going to be a senior, just got a, a five on her advanced placement European history test. So she might be actually interested in that now that I think oh, about it. Uh, no, a senior, senior in high school. Would, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, we, have, we, have we have volunteers that are that age. Here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Fascinating. Because yeah. I remember um, before when I was planning to come out, I remember it was only open one weekend a month and I was having to try to schedule when they wanted to go walk up there at the park. And then when I could well, I'm glad you didn't come then. <laughs> you would have been really disappointed. <laughs> I, well, from what you're, like you said, just what we listed uh, the stuff that's there now. I, I can't wait to see all of this stuff. Um, no, yeah, no, no, none of what I none of what I described was here then. Okay, well, great. Um, I'm, I, I'm glad I waited as well. So the one last order of business we have. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to the, our podcast before, but as the listen or as the uh, guest, you get to pick the coupon code for the listeners to use uh, on our website or our sibling website, Old School Shirts, uh, to get 20% off their entire order. So you get to choose it. Uh, you, it can either be a small word, uh, a small phrase, or one word, or, or what would you like the, the coupon code to be for until the next episode drops, Jack? Crosley. Oh, okay. We might have used that. We might have used oh, that. Okay. I think Keyswater okay. might have done that. I got a better one. How okay. about Powell? There you go. I don't think we've used Powell. Now, I think, re um, remember, don't don't misspell his name. There's I only do one that. L. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure people on the other side get that right. Uh, the, 
it every, was um every every everybody misspells his name. Lance McAllister <laughs> used Crossley because that's the name of his daughter. Named for, yeah. Named, I, got, I didn't ask him, is it named for the field or for Powell? Because the field was named after Powell Crossley. And he said, well, it's, it's, it's all of the above because he's on radio and he's a big baseball <laughs> nut. So, yeah, so we'll go with Powell, folks. And I'll check the spelling for you on the other side. Uh, and then uh, you get, can get the save 20% off your whole CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Lots of old radio stuff on both sites, so uh, you can dig that. And, Jack, appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, I know you're on Facebook because I always see posts on there. Uh, you guys have a website, obviously. And people can yep. – Okay. And people just Google Voice of America uh, Museum and that should, should come right up. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for doing this, Jack, and uh, hopefully I'll see All you right. soon. In person. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank All right. Bye bye. Dominic, I'm going to see how many episodes in a row I can use OMD for the playout song. That is Radio Waves from the much maligned but now critically acclaimed Dazzle Ships album. If you're interested in electronic music, you need to check that out. Also check out Voice of America Museum in person or online at Voice uh, see it, at uh, voamuseum.org is their web address. There you go. And I reckon anyone interested in broadcasting and or World War II, or even Powell Crossley for that matter, uh, would be fascinated by the museum. I need to get up there because, uh, as Jack was saying, uh, when I'd read about it years ago, they had like one or two things, and it sounded okay, and now it sounds like really cool. You can walk through that big old transmitter and see all those old radios they have, including uh, the Hitler radio. Man, that's, that sounds really cool. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the show, simply email us, podcast at cincyshirts.com, put podcast podcast guest in the subject line, then maybe give us a few sentences about why you think that person would be a good guest, or maybe why you would be a good guest if you have an interesting story to tell that's related to the tri-state. Also, be sure to tell your friends and loved ones about this show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, as always, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives, available wherever you get your pods, wherever you got this pod, uh, for that matter. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music and iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music, and I guess I should probably change that to telling you to find it in Apple Music, because I guess there, well, there still is iTunes, but it it's more popularly now Apple Music is what they're using. I still use iTunes, because again, I'm old. Find midget tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and a whole bunch more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Lots of defunct sports teams, old shopping malls, restaurants, uh, that sort of affair. Like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And you can use the promo code for this week's episode on OldSchoolShirts.com and, of course, CincyShirts.com. It is Powell, as in Powell Crosley. You have to spell that correctly. I'll give you a hint. It has only one L in it. And uh, you use that to take 20% off your entire order at CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com. Shirts.com, as I said, or in our brick-and-mortar stores in Over the Rhine and Hyde Park. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest NC Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye! Hey, Cincinnati, you stole my heart. I don't-
wish I said goodbye.